with over 30 years in prison, you know, and you keep going back to prison. Like he's from the time he's 12 years old, he's in the system. And every time he goes out, like he spent more of his life in prison than he has in free society. And it's just like, I just resolved myself that maybe this is where Allah wants me to be. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another episode of the Prophetic Mentality Podcast. I am your host, Amr Mabrook, joined by my co-host, Munir. And we have a very, very special guest sitting in at six foot four, Sheikh Rami Nsour. Six two. Six two? Yeah. SubhanAllah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, information. The great thing about this is I've been communicating with Sheikh Rami for the better part of like maybe two and a half years yeah. now over WhatsApp and like Zoom meetings and like phone calls. Mm-hmm. And yesterday was the first time that I saw you in person. And I didn't even realize it was the first time. Yeah. I remember seeing you and I was like, was he always that tall? Not even realizing <laughs> that this was actually the first time yeah, I met you. <laughs> no, and, and, and that, at that meeting, there was like, let's see, there were Brother Malcolm and maybe two, yourself. And there was a, like two or three people that I'd met oh, last night in person mm. that I had only met previously, you know, Zoom, phone calls and and so forth. And so I didn't have that feeling right away of like first meeting in person because it's like, you know, we're all we're all online digital. Yeah. And this was actually this is pre-COVID came in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Alhamdulillah, I, it's, I've been you were actually one of the first few people I actually reached out about this about podcast. This podcast yeah. yeah. To like yeah. get your advice. Um, alhamdulillah, finally happy to have you on, you know, years later. I'm happy to be here. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. alhamdulillah. And to give you guys a short bio, uh, Sheikh Rami, inshallah. You're right now the executive director at the Taiba Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, where you guys uh, provide Islamic education for prisoners, uh, Muslim Muslim prisoners, mm-hmm. uh, people convert to Islam. You guys uh, not only provide them education, but you help with the re-entry process into, uh, what's the technical terms, civil society or, uh, or, or yeah, free society? Free society. Or free or, society. Or, yeah. um, and right now there's something great going on in Southern California. Uh, you guys are opening a Taiba center here, mm-hmm. um, inshallah, with uh, Brother Tabari yeah. or Sheikh Tabari. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you guys are, you know, pushing that out right now. And uh, alhamdulillah. And, yeah, and we do life skills as well, which is in, in addition to the Islamic education. Mm-hmm. We do, um, uh, we work on, we have a Taiba legal initiative. Uh, we have a number of different programs. It's all on our on our website. Um, and, and alhamdulillah, we have, you know, the majority of our clients, students are Muslim, but we also have non-Muslims who are participating in programs, especially this new office that we have down here in, in Southern California, San Bernardino. It's open to everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's not just men. It's Muslim men. And women. And Muslim women yeah. uh, of all ages. Um, so alhamdulillah, you know, having, I think you guys are one of the only few organizations that really serve the underserved. Um the, the, the forgotten people in our society. So may Allah give you guys tawfiq and barakah mm-hmm. in this in this uh, rollout that's going on. Amen. Thank you. Also, besides this, you studied for eight years, four years in Mauritania, mm-hmm. and four years with Mauritanian scholars. So you know, um, mashallah, you are a sheikh in your own right. Alhamdulillah. Good to have you. Thank you. Okay. Although so, I will say, like, um, I don't like the the title sheikh because I've seen my shiuch. Um, and so, you know, I, I cringe every time people say sheikh because I'm like, you know, I've seen I've seen real shiuch who they themselves cringe when people call them sheikh. So I'm like, <laughs> <clears throat> so we I wanted to talk first a little bit about yesterday's event, the first mm-hmm. type of event that you guys did. Um, and 
one one of the things that really struck me was after the presentations were done, and then you had some of the students that came and they presented, uh, you know, just a little bit about why table was important to them or their their stories or what they were taking away. I was completely blown away by the transformation that these individuals had gone through because some of them, I think, shared their experiences of what they were like before entering the system, the prison system, and what they are now. I was just like, wow, like this is a complete 180. I mean, you'll have people here in quote unquote free society who will do all that they can to, you know, go to whatever lectures, read self-help books, go to seminars, you know, uh, I'm, you know, have a to-do list and trying to change their life around, but they, they don't achieve an nth of a degree mm-hmm. to what these individuals are going through. Can you kind of explain to us the process that Taba goes through or that Taba works with uh, these, these yeah. Uh, uh, people? Yeah, and, and for the listeners at home, we, we recorded everything and you were, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Uh, recording and uh, live streaming as well. So those videos that Amara, you're talking about are available, well, should be available online by the time this <coughs> Inshallah, me, yes. goes, goes live. Um, but, but that transformation that you talk about where these men are, I mean, they're serious, hardcore. Before Islam, they were hardcore criminals. And then in prison, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an extreme... Um, let's, you know, masculinity that has to be mm. presented as a per persona because any, any semblance of weakness in a prison is actually dangerous to a person. I'll give you an example. Um, one brother, um, and this was at a time uh, where I was kind of, you know, I was working over the years before Taiba got established to, to where I could be working full-time for Taiba. I had to keep two or three jobs. Um, some side consulting businesses. It was tough. You know, it was not, it wasn't easy. I mean, literally down to some months counting pennies out of our coin donation jars to pay the rent. So it wasn't always easy. And there was, there was times where I might've had to say, should I, should I do Thaiba as a side thing and try to find something in, um, you know, mainstream, more sustainable work. And I was asking this question and then I got a phone call from one of the, from one of our students and he was just sharing to me, like this is right in the mid, like I'm praying, making dua in the masjid at Zuhur, like, Ya Allah, what should I do? And then I come back and I get a phone call from one of our students. And it wasn't a question or it wasn't a study time. It was just like, I just want to share with you how much this means to me. And so he started sharing and then he started crying on the phones. And afterwards, even though I knew this was unique, I asked one of the brothers, I said, that's not normal, right? Like for a person to cry on the phone in prison, because where they're where they're talking on the phones, it's a public space. You know, they go and they have all these mm-hmm. these these pay phones. And so if you're a prisoner and you're crying on the phone, it shows weakness because you're showing your emotion. You're showing your emotional side. He said, oh, yeah, that never happens because then other people will be like, oh, he cries. So he's got a weakness. He's got a, you know, um, uh, a, a weak link in his chain or a chink in his armor. That's somewhere we can take advantage of. Um, and he said, he said he's seen people that get the news on the phone of the death of their mother and not cry on the phone because they don't want to cry in front of other oh prisoners. God. And they'll wait till they go back to their own bunk and cry like in, in, in private. So that's how seriously they protect their emotions. They always have to have like this, this mean, like, a, like mean mug look or mean dog look as because you want to it's that's your armor. So this type of persona is happening like all the time and year after year and witnessing attacks, um, fights that occur, you know, defending yourself. Like it's a very, very, it's a toxic environment. Um, And throughout all of this, then you say, well, what does that develop in a person? Is it going to harden that person's heart? And then as you saw, 
some very soft hearts, right? They can actually let down their guard and show like, no, I'm, I'm, I have a very uh, a softness inside of mm-hmm. me. Um, going back to that phone call, that was helped me solidify like, yeah, this is what, what, I, what I need to be doing. So I do the work not only to serve others. Is there a background or is that? I think they're playing. Recess. Oh, playing basketball. Okay. Is it annoying for you? No, I, no it's fine. Just, I go uh, yell at some kids. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's just. Uh, so so, on his head. <laughs> it, there, it, it, it just confirmed for me that this is what I need to be doing for my own like soul, for my own dean. So I don't mm-hmm. only serve other people because they need it. It's also I need it. Um, and then you see that side of them. You see these very, very tough men who are willing to, in a prison riot, defend themselves. I mean, you can imagine like the seriousness of that and the, the, the strength and the, the manhood, whatever you want to call it, that you need for that. And that they can talk about last night about hugs and about love and about, you know, showing, sharing their emotions. Yeah, there was one guy that said that when someone approached their group and they gave him a hug and that was like the first time he'd ever been hugged. In his life. In his yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the amount of trauma this yeah. person had gone through. And I'll be completely honest, something that really, really like clicked in my head that I never even thought about was that, you know, I always thought very... Um, uh, uh, what, what's the word when you don't know something? Naively. Yeah, naively. Um, that, you know, well, why, 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 if you go to prison and you know you did a bad thing, why can't you just come out and, and be be better? Like, why, why, why you got to make the same mistake? Like, you know you're going to end up there. Like, you can see it. And you're on, you're on, you got a parole officer. Like, yeah. why can't you just be on your best behavior? And then something that I learned was, one, you guys told us a story about how someone was coming out and he became a Muslim. And I guess he was doing well on the Taba track. And you wanted to set him up in another community, but they wouldn't let you like take that guy and put him in a new community. He had to go back essentially to the swamp that made him who he is. Exactly. And it's like, how do you expect, like Sheikh Hamza Yusuf actually said this, if you treat someone for uh, uh, like a venereal disease and then you send him back to the swamp where he yeah. got that disease, like what's going to happen? Obviously. Reinfection. Reinvection. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, it's almost like a marketing scheme, right? You get, you have the cold emails, you get the prisoners in the first time, like, yeah. ah, now we got his email list, so yeah. put him back into the same place and get it, him back. Exactly. No, you're right. Yeah. It's like a sales funnel yeah. um, for, for the... And how, yeah, they call it the revolving door. I mean, the, the statistics show 70, 70 to 90% of people, that's the recidivism rate. That's the rate of returning to prison. That's ridiculous. That means so something is have, wrong. Something's wrong. And you have to take a serious look at the system. But sometimes when the system gets too big and it's just moving along, then people will say, well, it's just my job for, you know, one of the there's a there's a movie called um, Cool Hand Luke. It was like done in the 60s. I encourage people if they want to kind of there's a number of movies that you can watch to really get an idea of prison. One of them recently, uh, the movie in um, it was on Netflix. It's called um, The Central Park Five. Did you guys watch that? Central. Is that the one where the the guy like in, quote unquote incited a riot or something? Is that the one? The the, the five kids that they picked no, no, up in yeah. Central. Oh, sorry, Park, no, New something York. else. Something yeah. else. And that has a very very real depiction. Like even for me, having worked with with prisoners and former prisoners for over twenty years, that was like uh, traumatic to watch at times mm-hmm. because it was such a real and raw example of what 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 goes on in prison. And so if if you're if you're not ready to be shocked about the reality of prison. Don't watch that movie, but you can watch that from the justice system to how they're housed, solitary confinement, the board of parole, all of those type of things. Central Park Five, Just Mercy is another good movie. I saw that one. Um, and then Cool Hand Luke is from the '60s, but one of the one of the one mm-hmm. of the scenes in the movie, and he's picked up for like vagrancy, like public drunkenness, and then he's put into hard labor camp, um, and 
um, uh, and just you just see the way that they're treated and they're all treated the same, whether somebody was a murderer or somebody was like, you know, um, getting in public drunkenness and taking money out of a, a parking meter. Mm. Um, but at one point, one scene, and I watch this again, the one of the guards says he puts him into a solitary confinement and he says, sorry, Luke, um, I'm really sorry to do this. And he said, but it's my job. And he looks up at him and he says, just you saying that it's your job doesn't make it right. And that's what, you know, when people say it's my job, that's what the Nazis said. That's what, you know, people in this system say, will say, well, this just, I just have the keys and I'm just doing my job. Well, no, that's not. And especially for Muslims, we don't do just our job. No. Right. Um, we have to, we have to really take ourselves to account. So, so people who work within the system, if they're seeing like a high recidivism rate, toxicity to the you know millionth degree within the prison um and another movie that's also very raw shot caller it's on amazon prime you know but again it's a really raw movie talking about a person who he did something wrong he deserved prison but but the transformation that occurs within the prison because of him being in a california department of corrections um it, it just shows of course it's hollywood eyes fantasizing and so forth but um <clears throat> I'm sorry, I can't remember the original question. No, I was talking about things that that stood out to me, um, and 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 the transformative effect the, that this can have, right? Or, then, or no, 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 the broken system. Yeah, so it's a broken system, in, yeah. you know. And then, so now, how are we going to fix it? You know, do, do we look at the Scandinavian countries where they have actually a better prison system? Alhamdulillah, you know, there are prisons who are making trips to the Scandinavian countries. And I recently heard, and this has not been officially released, but there is a prison here in the U.S. I won't mention the state uh, because it's still not officially. Uh, mm -hmm. But they're 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 going to have a what they call a Norway unit. Mm. And when I heard that, I said, "Oh wow, this is good!" Like finally. The prisons are saying, okay, let's let's look at prison systems that actually work. And the Scandinavian countries have some of the best, best, um, uh, um, what is the word? Um, uh, you know, they don't have the high recidivism rate. They don't have that toxicity within the system. Um, it's a successful model. So people that get quote unquote rehabilitated there, they go out to free society and, and they're they, able to function. And they're actually, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, and I think, I mean, uh, this is a little sidetrack, but if you want to convince the, American voter, American taxpayer, you got to get him on the, the taxpayer Money. part, right? Yeah. You got to let him know that this, whoever the prisoner is, they're costing, you know, maybe 30, 40 grand a year. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just to live there. You're not talking about medical expenses because I didn't know about this, but the, the, the insurance companies, companies lobbied so that they don't have to pay insurance for prisoners. They don't get policies for them. So anytime these prisoners have to go see a doctor, they're pay, we're paying like full price out of pocket and it's coming out of taxpayers yeah. pocket average half a million dollars and those the prisoners who are in those medical facilities like here in california cmf california medical facility the average is five hundred thousand dollars per prisoner per year that is ridiculous that, and we're paying That's that ridiculous. we're paying that because the state's like oh i mean they could get them insurance policies but then the taxpayers are saying hey why does a criminal get, get to have an insurance policy while in prison you can think of the worst high deductible health plan you're still not paying You're're half paying a million no to go get a and seat. And see, there's my, my brother, um, uh, Faris, and alhamdulillah, you know, I, uh, Allah has given me two brothers that I have. We're a family of five. Um, and I get advice from all my siblings, alhamdulillah. Mm -hmm. um, it's like Harun says, you know, uh, Harun is the wazir of, of Musa, alayhi salam. So it's always good to have a sibling who's, 
who can advise you. Mm-hmm. So alhamdulillah, I have four siblings and they're not afraid to share their advice, uh, which is good. We all, we all need people around us, especially people who can cut past the public persona, especially for people who might have, uh, even if you have, you know, you put on a persona for work for other people, but you need those family members who are going to call a spade a spade, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but my uh, my brother Fattis, he, he shared with me a, st- a statement of Warren Buffett, who said there's four types of spending. Spending your own money on yourself, spending your own money on others, spending other monies on yourself, spending other people's money on others. And he mm. said e- with each degree, it goes down in terms of how, uh, how you know, when you spend money on yourself, you go to the store, you're like, oh, well, I don't really need it. I don't. But as soon as you get into gift mentality, your own money for somebody else. You're more generous, right? Oh, it could be the other way. What's that? <laughs> it could be the other way. Yeah, well, that person <laughs> might have issue, yeah. it. <laughs> That seems a little narcissistic, like you know. No, Muslims are good myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like no, actually, yeah. maybe I need that, and they yeah. can get this. Yeah. <laughs> Muslims were good though. We're good yeah, about that. We're hospitable, so you know, we'll uh, give. We'll give. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, spending spending, uh, spending some other people's money, money on you on you on yourself. The accountability goes down. That's why people in corporations, right? There's always that like oh. Oh, yeah, expands, expands, expands. Charge it to the company. When you travel with work, people spend their money on the stupidest yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there like, Because the budget's kidding? there. Well, they give you $50 for lunch. Yeah. What the hell's a $50 <laughs> lunch? Yeah. Yeah. Well, half of it's alcohol, that's why. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. The tab. And then other people's money and other people. So the accountability, like thinking in a system like that. So a politician. Spend, a politician. Yeah. He's spending other people's money on other people. This, this military industrial complex. This war in Afghanistan, two, two, 20 years trillions of dollars what if they had spent that money on education they said you know what we're not going to bring boots on the ground we're going to establish education and seed funding and we're going to bring in you know like the the venture capitalists and just train people how to like build up and for two trillion dollars on that what would the country be like now instead of ammunition and and and, and the war machine that's Um, all they left behind mm -hmm. america left what they leave behind guns trucks tanks uh bombs in the ground that's it yeah and then i I read an article where it was it was a high percentage. I can't re- remember the exact percentage, but it was something like eighty or ninety percent of of that money was through was to p- private contractors. So it wasn't like tax money going to the to the U.S. Army paying U.S. Oh, Army engineers like Blackwater was, and all yeah, that. Blackwater other contractors okay. who are doing whatever. You know, we need to build a road. I know you know people who were or, or I don't know, but I know of stories of people who would go there to drive trucks. So he's a private contractor to drive military trucks, whatever, in the distribution lines or so forth. And he's getting a lot of money, paid six-digit figure. Yeah. No, they get, they get, they get, because it's hazard pay. Yeah. So they, they make a lot of money. So that's what's happening in the prisons. Other people's money on other people. They don't care if it's $60,000 per prisoner per year. And then when they leave the gate here in, in California, they'll give them $200. $200? That's it. That's your gate money. No bucks. way. So they're okay spending sixty grand on you per year. And they're not going to pay for your college. That's like three days work nowadays. Yeah. Minimum wage is like is fifteen. Gonna, minimum wage fifteen bucks. It's nothing. Here, SoCal, or where I am in the Bay Area, two hundred bucks is going to be gone. Uh, you know how much it costs to get a burrito here? It's fifteen bucks. <laughs> One, you can't even probably get a, a night at a hotel. Even no. like Motel Six is going to be like seventy bucks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The hell of a seventy bucks if you go out to like Bakersfield <laughs> or something, right? <laughs> where, where, do you, where do you go with two hundred dollars? I'm trying to understand. Where yeah. could you possibly go? An Uber is like fifty bucks. Like, <laughs> oh, another thing. Well, some some of these guys coming out, they're like, oh, I like I need help sending emails. Oh yeah, basic attachments, stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. smartphone. Yeah, I'm, and and that's like yeah. I never yeah. even like thought time, about. It's like a time oh, machine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, wallahi, we struggle with that because like we have a reentry fund. All right, we want to send them checks. Just to get them that check, we have to. We realize now it's no longer just sending them a check for money. What do you we mean? Have to, we have to train them. 
Because oh. we can say we can we can send it to you by Zelle. We can send it to you by check. We can send it to you by PayPal. Gotcha. Now, just to get a PayPal account, that's a that that's like running through a lot of hoops because or you have to have an email. You, you need to understand. Like, yeah, all it's that. like our brains are wired in response to our environment. Right. So we grow up with these things. Maybe not like I grew up with pagers. Pagers was the big thing. And yeah. Cordless phones. Right. But the the but even just ha- growing with this over time, you know, from the from the flip phones to yeah. the smartphones, you like we transition. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Good, good, good word for that transition. We have we've had a long transition. Mm. We're reading blogs. We're talking to people. How do you do this? How do imagine you come out 20 years later? There was a, we picked up one brother. Uh, he was in for about 22 years. And the first thing he wanted to do was um, go to the masjid. So we, we went to a masjid. And I got a picture of him, his first prayer as a Muslim, because he converted in prison in a masjid. I have also have a picture of the first time he touched a tree in 20 years. Wow. Um, and. Uh, but he, he needed to get something from the trunk. So I just had my keys in my pocket and I opened up the trunk from the other side of the parking lot and he looked like he saw like some magic. Wow. Oh my God. Remoteless, uh, you know, and I said, and so, you know, there's, it's like people going into a time capsule. It's that bad. Mm-hmm. 20 years. He's going to be like, yeah. where's the floppy disk? Wait, what's <laughs> up with this? I'm seeing like TikTok, like uh, the famous TikTokers in prison. Oh, they have illegal cell phones that are brought in by the guards. Everything illegal in the prison is is brought in by the guards. Drugs, <laughs> is, cell phones. Is that because I mean, I hear Wait, one really? argument is yeah. the guards are paid well, so like this is like their side hustle. Is that true? Or you is can make just money off of prison. Oh yeah, imagine. Okay, so you get an iPhone that's whatever. You get a uh, iPhone that's five hundred bucks. Uh, yeah, okay, five hundred sure. bucks. Sell it to the prisoner for a thousand. Wait, where does the prisoner get a thousand bucks? Either he'll have his family send money to that person. And how do you, how do you transfer the fund? Like. Is it's all in a system? Moneygram, or you know, so so he so the prisoner will tell his 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 uh, his family, hey, send send this amount of money, you know, Venmo, Zelle, Wire, oh. uh, Western Union, uh, send a, send a, a prepaid debit card, you know, something, whatever. How I don't know how they do it. Uh, wow, but they do it to the guards. Yeah, guards are bringing stuff in all the time. I thought I thought it was always like when it's I mean, not like in the, the movies the where gift. they slip stuff under the table. Or because like it's do, in a cake or whatever. No, they do. That, <laughs> so that's that. this the other humiliating thing people forget about. Like, even say you go to visit your loved one at, at the prison, right? They get, a, they get strip searched going in and coming out. Mm. And not just, we're not talking about TSA at the airport. Oh, they patted me down. You know, one time I read an article where it was like, a, I think she was, yeah, she was like a, um, a white American non-Muslim who got patted down at the airport. And she wrote this long article about being violated at the airport. And I'm not trying to, you know, but I'm like, lady, do you know what we deal with as Muslims all the time, especially for us, you know, young bearded Muslim males, what we deal with when I come into a, a international airport, if I, I, when I used to come back from Mauritania, if my flight came in at two, I'll tell my family, pick me up at five. Yeah. Cause it took me about three hours to get through. And eventually it became normal. And they're like, what? And then when I used to pick up people like 15 minutes after getting out of an international flight, I'm like, really, that can happen? Uh, <laughs> so, but in prison, it's not even that TSA pat down. It's uh, spread them. Uh, yeah. For mm-hmm. guests. No, 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 no. For the prisoner. Okay. The so they're not getting a, they're not getting an iPhone at the, at the visiting lounge. You okay. Know? That's a guard bringing, bringing it in. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. There was a, there was another thing. The uh, I wanted to touch on is the the because I mean we I mean I've never I've never I don't think I've ever even visited a prison so I have no idea I had no idea the context of living in that situation mm-hmm. what it would look like and and something that was very illuminating to me was you you mentioned a story of 
the brother, like, you know, he was driving or his, maybe his wife or yeah. was it his friend. His wife was driving. Yeah. His wife was driving. And he was holding on to the door, like clenched for dear life. And that was because he, other cars were coming by and he was seeing these fast objects coming by him. And it like triggered a defense response because in prison, if someone's coming at you, you got to defend yourself. Yeah. So he's sitting there, you know, literally being triggered driving. Mm -hmm. um, and what if this is how he has to get to work? Yeah. So you're going to show up to work already like heated, right? I mean, that's, and I never, I never thought about that. I never, ever thought, I, that I would have never even occurred to me to think that, oh, well, he got a job. Why can't you yeah. just go to your job? Not realizing on the way to work, this guy is at nine. Yeah. And, and they, they actually, there's people advocating now within the, the mental health field to bring it in as a subcategory of PTSD, and it's called post-incarceration syndrome, post-incarceration stress syndrome, where it's, it's, it's uh, uh, PTSD that's developed within the prison system. Because could you imagine like living, you know, always at the fear of being attacked or seeing somebody else attacked? I mean, the average prisoner has, has, has most probably seen somebody been brutally attacked and, and that person not killed or has seen an actual uh, killing of somebody else, either by another prison or prisoner or guard. So imagine just witnessing that, right? That type of trauma. So when you said the word trigger, and this is not, we're not talking about like, you know, the, the modernist liberal interpretation of no, 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 trigger. No. This real, is little, real, this is, yeah. this is the, 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 the clinical definition of trigger. Yeah. Like he, in that point, cause he didn't even realize what was happening to him and he was triggered and he was reacting and he wasn't even conscious of his reaction. And another time he said he was walking with his wife on a sidewalk and it, you know, you walk on a sidewalk, if there's enough people, somebody might get an inch or two away from you or maybe even brush up against you. It's, it's normal. It's normal. That's normal. But for him, when he was walking, he would actually turn like somebody got that close. He turned and cocked his arm, like ready to punch. And his wife says, what's wrong with you? And he didn't even realize that that was happening because in prison, if somebody gets that close to you, it's up to no good. It, yeah. You get, you, you know, you, they have a very strict protocol of how you walk around people, how you, even how you eat. I saw a person one time I was at a high school MSA for Ramadan and I saw one of the, the maintenance person, they invited him to eat and he was eating. He had his food like this. I don't know if they can't, you know, and that's how they eat in prison because you don't want people stealing food from you. So they eat hunkered over the food with their <laughs> arms around the food and they eat really quick. quick. So they don't even savor the food. No. And it's, you know, it's subpar food to begin with. So there's all these things happening and they got to now reacclimate into society and not get triggered by that. And there was one case, an extreme case of that triggering happening where he was working in a warehouse and somebody walked up to him. So imagine he's, he's, he's um, um, uh, kneeling down, working on a box. And, you know, when you're in that position where you're not standing and you're not looking, you're now you're compromised. Now you're compromised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so somebody came up to him um, behind him too quickly. And this is in free society, but 20 years in prison and being always ready. And he would also carry a knife for safety because that's what he did in prison. Well, he turned around and stabbed the person. What? Yeah. And they sent him straight back to prison. But his defense attorney was trying to argue that this was not a conscious decision. This was this was PTSD. I mean, a sol yeah, if a soldier comes back from overseas yeah. and they have a psychotic break, they would mm -hmm. be, they would be treated yeah. differently. They would treat, you know, they would, th 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 that leeway exists for them, but not for. And why, we, why do we have to put people in that situation anyway? Mm -hmm. Like if somebody goes in for even, let's say, okay, cocaine charge, bad, right? We're Muslims. We don't like alcohol, marijuana. And for all <laughs> you listeners out there, and I'm going to look at the camera, marijuana is haram don't give me that stuff oh marijuana is not a drug brother i can operate you know what about cbd 420 
Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, sh- I need to close my eyes a little bit and be like, hey, brother, <laughs> calm down. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a drug. Brothers and sisters. Oh, it's yes. A drug. Yes. It sisters. is a drug. Um, but it's not as bad as alcohol, right? More crimes For sure. are committed under the influence of, as much as I hate the smell of marijuana, I can't stand it. It smells like a skunk. Yeah. But uh, more more prisoners are due to marijuana. Uh, due to marijuana. But more crimes That's are crazy. Committed. You yeah. can work for Anheuser-Busch. You know, how many rapes, how many murders, how much incest, how much, you know, drunk driving has yeah. been, you know, caused by uh, alcohol. And you you could be a you could be sitting at a dinner at the White House. Oh, I'm just you know I'm the president of Anheuser Busch or Coors or yeah. Miller Lite or whatever. But somebody has an ounce or a gram of, of crack or cocaine. And again, I'm not advocating and I'm not allowing it. But why does that person have to go to prison twenty years in a in a situation where um, uh, the biggest know, drug dealer in the world's yeah. respected individual? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you have some of these guys who may have been doing twenty year sentences because of marijuana possession, but now. You know, marijuana is the new hip thing. Yeah. Marijuana delivery service are mm. popping up everywhere. And it's and like the yeah, they're making like, millionaires, mi- millions Sorry. off of it. Right. And those guys may still be in there, right? Oh, uh, well, in California, I think they do have like retroactive sentencing. Where they like get them out? Yeah. If they were in there on a marijuana crime. But there's other people like the brother who shared yesterday that as a 17 year old a juvenile, he got three life sentences for the nonviolent possession of a drug. And it was crack cocaine. And it was a small amount. Three? Three, because once they start stacking these charges, you know, in oh, okay. to distribute whatever they, yeah, I don't know exactly what he got, but he got as, so a, as a seventeen year intent, old uh, with a yeah. nonviolent. So you know, they they look at like violence, a, a violent possession of drugs might be, or a violent you know crime along with drugs. He 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 had drugs, and it was you know he had a vi- you know I yeah. don't know he was selling it to somebody pulled out his gun shot him because a deal went bad. That's like violence along with the possession. But if somebody just has it for personal use, it's a nonviolent possession of drugs. That's what the majority of people in U.S. prisons are: nonviolent possession of drugs. That's crazy. And so he yeah, got three crazy. life sentences for uh, as so, a seventeen-year-old for possession of, of crack. How do you get out? Uh, the, a miracle of Allah. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a we have an article on our website and when he got out his uh Taba his foundation Taba foundation dot com on dot com and we yeah. have his, he tells his story on our yeah. website and just i mean for all the listeners we will put all the stuff in the description she's got to click below in the link below i want to do i've never done that before <laughs> in the link done, below in the link below actually go go like this go like this. we'll Where? put it in the corner yeah right. okay <laughs> yeah click on this it's the first time in my life i've ever done this click on this button um, and we'll also put all the videos <clears throat> inshallah when they're edited and released i'll be sure to link them on social media so you guys can go listen to these um listen to yeah. these stories so um, he yeah. went in as a 17 year old now he's a, a one of the board of directors of of a national organization called the Fair Sentencing for Youth Project, okay. where they advocate in Washington for fair sentencing of youth. And his mom was with him, you know, like from the time he was in prison, she was advocating on the outside, making sure, you know, and finally a, um, a pro bono um, lawyer. lawyer took up his case. Uh, but it was really, it was through the power of dua. And his story, he tells his story. And that was, was his email when he got out, the power of dua, because he truly believes that it was his dua that got him out of prison. I'm feeling like this, this is a great example. There's no justice in this dunya. Like, there's no yeah. absolute justice in this dunya. We need to give this up. I mean, yeah. not give it up. We, we pursue the thought, it. But yeah. The thought of it, like saying, oh, people are getting away with crimes, which will transition to another topic yeah. after later. But it's just, it's a great example. It's, it's impossible. There are yeah. just people out there. I mean, hell has to be filled up with someone. Yeah. It's pretty hard to yeah. go to hell if you think yeah. about it. But eh, you, yeah. you hear the stories. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Someone's got to go. 
Oh, yeah, and I, I think you know when I see people like this, it's um, there's another brother who uh, who I and I consider these men my friends. You know, like the, it's it started out as a teacher student relationship, but then eventually, you know, it very quickly became friendships. And to me, I think the highest form of a teacher student relationship is sohba, friendship. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, you know, his his sahaba were not called his. Uh, his helpers or mm-hmm. his ansar they were the ansar of the muhajireen yes but they were his sahaba they were his friends um and so that's what i aspire to you know that these uh, people that i come into contact that, that I, and they're some of my best friends and my closest advisors too when i'm when i'm in a place a dark place so to speak you know i need someone to talk to that's who i'm talking to and it's like look i'm going through this you can give me some advice mm. um and what i'm always struck by is how a human being can be in such a um toxic environment and yet come out this beautiful human being especially when cards were stacked against them in a way like oppressively so one brother ahmed adisa he's he has a life without parole they call him lwaps life sentence without the chance of parole so this is you can't even does this mean you can't appeal nothing there's nothing there you have life in prison because it's either life with the chance of parole life without parole or you know death the death, death penalty, penalty. Um, so he has life without parole. Mm. And two of the main witnesses in his crime came forward and said, we lied. What? Oh God. And then he had an alibi. Wait, and he still has and life? he's still in prison. How does that make sense? That's so just the, the system? That's the system. And so now what's happening, and for the viewers at home, and maybe we can put some links, they're developing what they call conviction integrity units, CIUs. They started out of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania because they started noticing this. And one of the things the DA, alhamdulillah, may Allah reward him with hidayah and bless him and bless his family. Um, and he's not, you know, um, uh, uh, he, he got in there, he started seeing these, these um, patterns. And he said it was the same police officers, the same prose- uh, um, prosecutors, the same judges that are funneling you know, people, it's like you have a higher arrest rate, higher conviction rate, higher to the uh, same prison, to the same. Well, to the, the, the Pennsylvania okay. Department of Correction. He's like, this is not there's something wrong. You're biased. You know, it's not un, it's not um, uh, it's not as balanced as it should be. Like, just let the law speak for itself. So so now he's uh, he's retrying those cases, getting those judges, getting those prosecutors, getting those polices out of the system. And now other places are following suit. So there's one in St. Louis, Missouri, um, and then out here in California. St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and so hopefully, you know, we hope to see more conviction integrity units where they're going to look into these past uh, past cases. But this brother Ahmed, he's in there. He's been almost 20 years. Imagine he goes in, he was married. His kids were like two and three. That's it. His marriage was 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 ruined. His kids grew up without their father, um, and he's in that prison. And you can see his, but if and we have some pictures of him. He he's always smiling. He's always in a cheerful mood. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if I get in a in a bad rush hour, I could you know just kind of get in a bad mood for the rest of the day. And this brother's in that situation. So to me, you know, if people are looking for Oliya. You know, the people, the close friends of Allah, the saints, you don't have to go to the mountains of, of Central Asia or the deserts of the Sahara to find Oliya. You can find them right here in the prisons in the U.S. I have full belief. We don't know the full state of people, but outwardly, I can say these men are, are some of the Oliya of Allah. So, so help, help me understand. So, yeah, people talk, your car stacked against you. You're in this prison system. So what's helping them transform? 
you know, besides dua, they're converting in prison. So mm-hmm. they didn't even have hidayah before. It's not like they were yeah. Muslims. They don't even have a sense of what guidance is. That's what hidayah is, right? Yeah. It'll come to <laughs> you whole... even if you're at the bottom of a well. There's one brother, he became Muslim on his own in solitary confinement. Huh? And Wait. for six months, he did not know a single Muslim. He was Muslim in prison for six months and not had any connection to another person. La... So he was La... in solitary confinement what? and he just said, he made a decision. He said, okay, you know, and he was a serious, like, um, offender, uh, offender. He was like out here on the streets of LA. He had, he had formed his own sub gang of the bloods. Wow. Like he was a shot dedicated, caller, yeah. dedicated. Yeah. Mujtahid, you know, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> he was like Mujtahid Mutla or Mujtahid Muqayyid, right? So within the medheb of the bloods, he, he had created his own sub medheb. So he was a Mujtahid Muqayyid, um, and people recognize that. So, and then he went in prison for murder, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, and he was just against the system, fighting with guards all the time. He said when they would do what they call a cell extraction, he said, okay, I'm going to make it hard for them. You know, he refuses to get, so he would get down to his boxers, put Vaseline all over his body, <laughs> put string all over the door, you know, so that when they come in, they get tangled up in the string and then he's fighting, you know, he knows he's going to, you know, but he's going out fighting. He said one time they had to transport him from one prison to another and they used one of these small planes, like the four yeah. seater planes. And so he was in there handcuffed and he just moved and he noticed the plane moved a little bit. So he's like, oh, so he started rocking back oh in his God. in his chair because he's like, you can transport me in a bus and I can't do this. And he said it, it was like the look of death in the in the the, the correctional officer's eyes because he looked at him. He's like, I could bring this plane down. <laughs> and he was serious. So anyway, he, he's living that. He's still gangbanging inside. He gets in 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 um, in uh, uh, into solitary confinement. <clears throat> he gets Hidayah. And the Hidayah comes to him in solitary confinement. But the way it came is that he said there's so much racism in the California Department of Corrections prisons. I mean, one of the only places where it's actually on the books, legalized apartheid. And I haven't heard people talk about this. Is the California prison. Why? What, what, you, what do you mean? Because Explain when you please. walk in through the gates, uh-huh. they're like, okay, are you white, black, Mexican, other is that and we're going to house you with those people. That's where you can, who you're going to eat with. That's who you exercise on the yard with. It's based on your race. Isn't that because they don't want they don't in want race gang fighting, fighting race fighting? But who established that system? Yeah. So yeah. the gangs are saying, yeah, you know, we got the whites, and so the whites are like the the the, the supremacists, the Nazis, the Odinists. But it's the, just feeding you know, into it. Yeah. It's feeding into it. So you actually you're like you're supposed to be. It's like a parent, like a, you, you have a little kid, right? If little kids like I want candy for breakfast. Okay, well, uh, sure, you want candy for breakfast. Well, we're gonna only have Skittles for breakfast. All right. Somebody's like, well, what is that? Like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just doing my job. No, you're the daddy. You know, don't give Skittles for breakfast. Um, and so in this system, it's it's legalized apartheid. And so what happens is say somebody goes in and he's not affiliated with any gangs. Now he has to. And that what's, that's what that movie Shot Caller highlights is that's what he has to do for his own. Because he wasn't affiliated. Oh, because you can he go in not affiliated with guy. a gang. Yeah. And, so and now you oh, have to you're be white. Now you go over there with the Pecker Woods. With the, 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 the Aryan. Aryan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and then the people there was one brother who said um, uh, uh, they he. He was Jewish, but he got a swastika tattooed on his neck because he's white. But because then they're like, oh, well, who are you with? I'm Jewish, right? There's no card for me. Well, the supremacists aren't going to like that. So he actually had to go undercover with the supremacists and get a swastika tattooed on his neck as a Jewish man. Like, that's not what the judge ordered for your conviction. It's bad enough that you're in prison. Why do you have to do that? There's another story. Actually, this brother who became Muslim in solitary confinement, he tells this beautiful story. 
And he said, so, well, let me go back to his story. Yeah. How do you find this? <laughs> yeah. Wait. How do you find this? Now? <laughs> so he's in solitary confinement. Can you, can you explain solitary confinement? <clears throat> yeah. Us? So solitary confinement is not much bigger than this desk. So it's about a, it's about a six by 10 cell. You got a bed, a toilet, and a sink, and you're in there for 23 and a half hours. It's a concrete box. No windows. No windows. Just the light. Just the light, and the, it's a it's very dim light, and sometimes they keep the lights on all the time. Uh, there's actually a book by Alfred Woodfox called Solitary. It's one of the best books that I've read. In general, he's an, he's an amazing writer. He spent four decades in solitary confinement. That environment. Wait, he spent? Four, 40 years. 23 hours a day. 23 a and a half hours. And they'll let them out for, for, for half an hour a day for their exercise in another box that might be open to the air. And that's on their own. So they can, they might be able to talk to other people on their tier, but they don't have physical interaction. They're in that box for 23 and a half an hours yeah. a day in here in the state of California, people on the death penalty in, um, in San Quentin, that's what their life is. So they might be on the, you know, death row for 20, 25, 30 years. They'll be dead way before it's they get most of the time. Yeah. And even if they're like, what kind of life is that? You're putting a human being in a box, a, a cage. And in Europe, in some countries, solid, more than three days in solitary confinement is considered torture. Which it shouldn't be. It's, it is. It's yeah. crazy. I mean, when people criticize the Stanford, the Hadood and our, our punishment oh, yeah. lashes. It's One so brother tough. told, he said, he said, for all those critics who talk about, oh, the Islamic penal code and creeping Sharia law. I want to start, if I ever have like a nursery, I want to get a, a vine. <laughs> And I'm going to call it creeping Sharia. You know, it's like like some sort of from the Ivy family that hasn't been named yet. And just try to market that in the Midwest. Like, oh, oh, what's that? That's Ivy. And what's that? Oh, that's creeping Sharia. You're going to love that in the morning. The flowers that come just don't cut them off. OK, so um, there's actually a book in defense of flogging. Oh, really? I if I don't know if you I forget the author's name, but he wrote his whole book about um, why flogging is a better system. Mm. Flogging is, you know, lashing yeah. somebody. For the viewers, uh, instead of instead of, you know, ha, you know, putting someone in a box, in a box. And he kind of goes into the history of how the modern prison industrial complex actually uh, uh, was created. Like, what are the, what are the original idea uh, ideologies that came and formulated? What mm, is that's there actually I'm going to read that book. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what one of the prisoners said. He said, you know, like he said, you, you guys uh, in for any of the critics who say, you know, taking off a hand for, for crime, he said, take a hand. He said, take my hand. He's in a California prison. Take my hand, take my arm, take my leg. Just get me out of here. But for them, it's cleaner. It's like, oh, that person, they're still whole. Well, they're not whole. If you have somebody come out after 20 years of living in that life, okay, they might be physically whole, but mentally, emotionally, well, yeah, psychologically. But that's easy. So, I mean, so even the psychological thing, you said that there was a brother who was on the Taba track. This is the one you guys tried to mm -hmm. get put in a different community and then it didn't work out. He had to go back to where he, you know, messed up and then he fell back into drugs and then he tried to set himself on fire mm -hmm. and that didn't work. So he like tried to commit a crime to, you know, because he doused himself in gasoline and he thought you said that if the sh police shoot at him, it'll you know, engulf ignite, him, yeah. ignite him. And he ended up going back to prison for 37 years. Um, and, uh, you know, you finally convinced him that he needs to see a, a therapist or psychologist to talk about all the trauma. And the next one out wasn't for six months. And then when he finally got a hold of somebody, it was like someone with like a bachelor's degree, not even yeah, like wow. a trained. Yeah. And that's the system that's supposed to be rehabilitation. You know? So, 
Um, back to our story. When anyone finishes this, story. yeah, the story. <laughs> I, I open up too many windows. So then he said that there's so much racism in the California prisons, right? He's just like it's exacerbated in there. He said this is the racism of our society is exacerbated in prison. Okay. He said I really want to understand where this comes from. So he said I had to understand racism in America. He said I know it has to be its roots have to be in slavery. So he starts he starts reading about slavery. Studies of slavery takes him to West Africa. West Africa takes him where? Islam. So he starts hearing about Islam. Then he said he got the almanac and he just started reading through all the different religions just to understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in prison for like a solitary confinement at the, for whatever for that offense for nine months. And so he's doing all this within three uh, within the three months. The last religion that he reads about is Islam. And this is the second. I have another story of a brother who was going. He wasn't in prison, but he was going through all of the different religions, reading them on his own. And mm-hmm. the last religion he read about was Islam. And yeah. he's like, this is what I believe. He took his shahada on his own. And that's what happened to this brother in solitary confinement. He's like Islam, and he started reading the the basic tenets. He's like, "This is what I believe." So he got hidayah in a box in the dungeons of California, and he became Muslim. He was Muslim for six months. He said how he gave his shahada. He didn't even know you have you know like yeah. a public announcement of shahada or so forth. But he said he just went to the bars and he yelled out to the tears. He's like, "Hey y'all, I'm Muslim. I'm Muslim." That's it. That was his, his shahada. So for six months, he was Muslim. And then he goes out to the yard. He's like, all right, where's the Muslim? Now I want to actually meet a Muslim. Mm. And when I hear stories like that, you know, it reminds me of a hadith where the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he's talking about his ikhwan, his brothers. Mm-hmm. And they, the sahaba said, aren't we your brothers? He said, no, you're my sahaba. He said, my ikhwan are people who come after me and see me written in the scriptures, in the books. They've never actually seen me, but they believe in me. So that includes us, right? Because we, yeah. we've only, but we actually got that message from another human being. We may have been born Muslim or we may have interacted yeah, if you're a convert. This guy, this is, he actually from the books. So he died. From an from almanac. Not an even almanac. like, we're yeah. not talking like, like a dawah yeah. yeah. dawa book, a dawah pamphlet. God <laughs> knows how it was even yeah. worded in there, right? Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, subhanallah. Uh, so help, help me walk through. So Playba, you guys have a education process. Mm-hmm. Curriculum, yeah. What is that curriculum? How is it helping these inmates? All right, they converted to STEM, but what are you guys doing for them on the inside yeah. while they're there? Well, it actually started with this brother who I was telling you the, the, the story of. His name's Yusuf. And um, he's down here in Southern California, too. Maybe you can have him on the show. Wait, he he's, a, he's out? Oh, yeah, he's been out and uh, he came out. Um, he came to. This was the Mujtahid. Mujtahid. Oh. Madhab, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And he has a nonprofit down here as well where he works with formerly incarcerated and the homeless and so forth. Wow. I'll put you in contact with him. Definitely. Um, so he had started a group, a study group within the prison. And they, whatever little resources they could get, you know, a CD here, a cassette tape there, um, somebody who had some connection to community, maybe a book here, a book there. And so they had some you know, degree of, of studies, but it wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't like a, a track or curriculum. It's just like anybody who starts getting into a field and, you know, from here and there, ad hoc, self-study yeah. puts them. We do that a lot in high school. Muslim, you like feel inspired, YouTube this, YouTube yeah, that, exactly. class, seminar there. Yeah. Yeah. But at least you have YouTube, right? So they, yeah. over there in prison, you just, have, you're a, you have the almanac. <laughs> Yeah, Almanac study of Islam. <laughs> Al-Manakh, right? Al-Manakh. So maybe somebody out there can start like a, a, a training program called Al-Manakh, you know, like <laughs> uh, next to Al-Manakh Institute. Um, so uh, so one of that, that study group came out of prison and he came, he was paroled to Hayward, California. And that's where I met, met him. 
and we just got to talking. And so then he said, oh, you're you're a, at that time. I was like full time thought of an ilm seeker of knowledge. Mm. He said, OK, you're studying the dean. Is it all right if every once in a while I give you some some questions from a brother in prison? I said, sure. And I'm thinking to myself, pamphlet Islam questions. And additionally, you know, my only, you know, coming out of a mahdara, like a serious learning institution in Mauritania, where people are really, really dedicated to learning Islam at a deep level. It's like going from, you know, a Harvard or Stanford Law School and then just going out to the general public and say and people talking about law and like, well, you don't really know law and whatever questions about law are just going to be like surface level mm -hmm. pamphlet law type of, uh, questions. Well, coming out of a mahdara of the mahdara of Murabat al-Hajj with Fahfu in Mauritania and then coming back, it, I, I don't want to say I hope it wasn't arrogance, but I just felt like I wasn't getting serious questions from people on the street. So like their questions of Islam was like, you're not serious. I mean, it, it's not... It, it's what would you expect? Like how yeah. much, how many resources are they going to have in there to educate themselves to even formulate a question? Yeah, that, that's that's yeah. And then now this is in prison, so I was like, okay, here's some more pamphlet Islam questions. I can answer them. He started asking about mustalah al hadith, what? technical terminology of hadith, usul al fiqh, foundational principles of deriving law, and I was like, what is this? Like I don't even get these questions from a questioner here in free society. And he looked up. I, he's like, brother, there's serious learning going on in the prison system. So that was my first connect. I had other connections. I, I taught a brother who was formerly incarcerated. He just happened to come into a halaqa that I was teaching. So I didn't really have like a concerted effort to teach in the prisoners or teach prisoners. This brother, what connected me to him is like, okay, I'm a seeker of knowledge. He's a seeker of knowledge. I have something he, he needs help. I, I can help him out. That's what it, I wasn't thinking of like, okay, we need to change the prison industrial complex. We need to, you know, help these brothers in prison. Let me go make my 501c, my nonprofit. Yeah. I wasn't <laughs> thinking about, I was just, it was like talib al-ilm to talib al-ilm. That was our connection. Yeah. And ilm is a sila. It's a, it's a connection between ahli. He, like Imam Zarnuji says in his book, like people who are on the path of knowledge have to recognize when you meet another student of knowledge, like you were saying, Munir, you, you're, you're in the seminary. Um, and I know yourself, Ahmed, as well. You have a dedication to studying. So we have that connection. That's what yeah. that's what's connect. That's the underlying connection yeah. here. Like, I'm not just coming on your podcast just because you have a nice setup, which you do. And you have, mashallah, good <laughs> brother and good coffee, alhamdulillah, which it was. <laughs> and now I'm inspired to get this mug over here like people can see. It. It's got its own coaster on it. <laughs> So I'll never yeah, forget. Just don't show the brand because I don't know who that is. Okay. <laughs> you can get him canceled in the future. Yeah. yeah it's gonna I don't know who Kona Joe is. <laughs> oh, well, you just said it. Oh, right? <laughs> Muted. <laughs> um, so, uh, so then I start. I said, this brother needs a teacher. So I started taking collect phone calls. I still remember this, you know, MCI, Global Telling. You have a collect call from Yusuf. And 15-minute phone calls, those calls were $7.50 for 15 wow. minutes. We would have yeah, two. They're making a killing oh, on yeah. those. That's ridiculous. It's like 20-something bucks. Yeah. It's free to get like an app <laughs> on your phone to call somebody. Yeah. They're, they're charging. They're like, making money off them at every. Uh, and then the jobs they have in the prison, in, uh, the, they call them the Prison Industrial Association, where they're doing like making desks and heavy labor and doing oh, sense, checking for them. So that's per hour. Yeah. 10, 15, 20 cents an and hour. And it's not even a job. It's not like you can refuse it. It's part oh, of your. Exactly. It's like part of your rehabilitation. Exactly. It's not like yes. you applied and you get to pick. Yeah. No, you have to do this. You know the forced labor. Yeah. You know the dresser sets we had at Cal Poly in the dorms. No, exactly. Those are made by yes. prisoners because it's anything state related. Yeah. If you open it up, it tells you. It says, oh, yeah. I had no idea. So that's prison. So imagine now they're making those, and like you said, it's not like okay. And they well, sell them for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Well, they're selling them to the state. How much do you think they're charging? I, well, they're I'm in the government. Yeah, they charge a lot. It's six hundred bucks for a dresser, yeah. probably. And so now the companies that are making those, they're get, they're getting reduced labor, you know, no yeah. shipping from China. Like you have to, 
uh, and then these people reduced labor, working, no shipping, no benefits, and if they refuse no housing, to work, yeah, solitary confinement. You have someone else doing the management on site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, this and is, we're paying slavery, for that. Slavery is alive and well. Yeah, my it friend. is. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway, the fifteen-minute phone calls, two uh, half hour, two like half hour halakas, three times a week. So that's like that was like forty-five bucks a week, and so I was paying out of pocket. Then my family, my parents. May Allah reward them immensely. Mm-hmm. When they heard about that, they're like, okay, we'll pay for this. Then other people in the community. And so that's really how Taba started. Wow. Um, that was 2002. Wow. Yeah. So and that was we 40 bucks then. That was like 100 bucks a week. Yeah, 40 yeah. bucks back then was, was a lot like of money. That's 45 a lot. bucks a week for, and he was consistent. Minimum wage was like so eight bucks like $200, back then. Uh, he couldn't have, have, have afforded that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. So that was 2002. Yeah. And then eventually uh, probably, you probably meet some more people and then you guys form the one student, but then other people, Oh, you have a teacher. So then I had like five students calling me in. Then I had like, then, then it just spread like wildfire. And then I realized, okay, I can't manage this. So I recorded some lessons. I said, okay, let me just do like now what they call the flipped classroom. Yeah. Um, probably back then that didn't, that didn't exist. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Listen so lecture, ask questions in the one-on-one. Exactly. So that's what I did. And so that was the, that was the first table course before I even knew it yeah. was, ta- that was, I recorded that in 2004 and then it just started spreading like wildfire. Like, okay, I got something here. I want to, you know, get to more people. And uh, we have, we've done, we advertised uh, like sent brochures in once in 2008 and we went from one prison, one student to five to 150 to 400 to 800. Now we've served almost 9,600 individuals. MashaAllah. So what's the, what's the Korean today? What, someone in prison, I want to start learning Islam. Mm-hmm. Where can you take them from to? Yeah. So the first thing is we have a book called Islam 99, Introduction to Islam. It was actually written by Tabari, the brother, you know, Stath Tabari yeah. last night. Stath Tabari. Um, okay. And that book, uh, we uh, the history, and it's available on Amazon. Link here. <laughs> I'm going to put a plug for Taba. Um, Please plug away. Yeah. Uh, and what we did with that book is I reviewed 14 different intros to Islam books and I got all the points that they were trying to cover and then we did a survey with some of our uh, students in prison we said okay of these intro books that you've been exposed to Mm -hmm. what issues are not being covered Mm -hmm. so we got those 40 surveys back we put those points in there so now I had like all these points and then uh, the co-founder of Taba, Taba uh, Nabil Afifi, he put it together as an outline Mm -hmm. and and we had the prison specific related things and then Tabari came out and um, actually, you met the, the story behind this is is Tabari and Amin used to walk around the track at their prison for hours and just talk about Islam. And mm. and Tabari uh, uh, would just share with him what he knew about the deen. And so I asked Tabari when when he came home, I said, you know, those those walks that you used to take around the track and explaining Islam to, to the brother, Amin, could you put that in a book? Like if we gave you an outline, he said, yeah. So now this is a formerly incarcerated Muslim who knows the dean enough, you know, alhamdulillah, his studies were at a level enough to where he could write an intro to Islam book. We give you the outline, and then in each section, if it's a there's a prison context to it, like, for example, zakat. How do you pay zakat in prison? Do you have to pay zakat al-fitr? Who do you give it to? What can you pay it with? Prison-related. Eid, Eid al-Adha. How does it relate in prison? Even things like qadr. I was teaching a aqidah course to one of our students, and then when he got to a really in-depth study of qadr, he called me and he said, you know, after reading Qadr and understanding about divine ordainment, you know, uh, mm. fate, whatever you're going to call it. He said, I think prison is where Allah wants me to be. And I said, hold on a second. No, that's not, you know, Qadr, understanding Qadr and it being a pillar of our faith is not to create some sort of fatalism mm. 
in you, even though you're faced with over 30 years in prison, you know, and you keep going back to prison. Like he's from the time he's 12 years old, he's in the system. And every time he goes out, like he spent more of his life in prison than he has in free society. And he's just like, I just resolved myself that maybe this is where Allah wants me to be. And I, I said, on the, on the one hand, we know, yeah, that's where Allah wants you to be because that's where you are. But on the other hand, does not, it does not mean that you give up. You give up. Yeah. So, so then we put that into our intro to Islam. When we talk about Qadr, we're like prison context. Um, so Alhamdulillah, we have that book. We've, yeah, you, I mean, you, they're not going to get a prison context in Islam book from any other. You no, know, yeah. This it is, has to be specialized. Yeah. yeah. And then we started noticing that, that the book of the intro to Islam was, was really good for everybody. So actually, here we are at IOK. Ustad Tabari used to teach that book that he wrote for Taba Foundation for the Prisoners. It was taught here at Saturday School to Muslim high schoolers in free society. So we're also showing people like when you support these men and women who are in prison, who have dedicated to reform their lives, it's not just to help them. It's like helping free society as well. One of his students from the Saturday School mm -hmm. was actually at the event last night. She came like she was inspired and she said he was his, her favorite teacher. That's amazing. This is to speak to the caliber of the transformation and the knowledge that's coming out uh, from these students. I think I don't know if that student was there yesterday, but um, he wrote the the uh, Ibn 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 Ashir. Is that, Ibn Ashir. He Ibn was Ashir. Well, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's he's the um, he has a book, right? It's the it's the is it Aqidah or is it Fiqh? It, it goes through Aqidah, Fiqh, and Tasawwuf, Tazkiyah. Yeah, and he wrote it in rhyme in English, translated. Because he used to be a rapper. No way. Yeah. It's like you guys are going to use that to teach the like who who would do that? That 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 takes a level of um imagination yeah. that's non-existent out here. Yeah. So um yeah, that, and he has a poem on the seerah and he has a poem on aqidah. Like he took one of our books. So after the Islam 99 then we verse, start taking yeah. him in, you know, and our curriculum is online. You can they can look at all the books, but an intro to theology, an intro to fiqh. So even before <coughs> starting studying the details and the rules like, well, how do we how was Islamic law mm -hmm. uh, derived? The mm -hmm. madhahib, the mujtahideen, the fuqaha, how was that happen? Um then they start on their tracks. We have Hanafi, Maliki, and Shafi'i fiqh. Wow, we have we're three adding, different. Oh, yeah. And we're giving them the freedom to choose. We're not, it's you impressive. know, as much as I support the Maliki, Maliki school and the Oqaf to, you know, one brother asked me, he said, uh, are you ever going to, you know, leave the Maliki school? No. I said, brother, they're going to bury me with my hands on my side. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, really? He thought this was like a stash Maliki thing. I'm like, well, technically everybody gets their hands at their side, but, you know. <laughs> Um, and nowadays, today, you know, we got to go on a rehla all the way to Turkey to to get any sort of meaningful uh, Islamic. Yeah, uh, I've had a few people who said when they see our curriculum and, 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 and there's a lot going on behind the scenes, the teachers, the grading, the tests, the essays. There's a yes. lot like it, it is a serious and in-depth in, in course. It's a school. It, yeah. <laughs> you had people College writing commentaries. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In prison, writing commentaries. And now they're studying things on, in Arabic. We have one student who memorized 700 lines of a thousand line uh, text on Maliki Fiqh. Which one? Okay. He memorized 700 lines in prison. In uh, Arabic? In Arabic. What? Yeah, we, they're studying tafsir in Arabic. They're studying, uh, right now, uh, one student, I'm teaching him the Mukhtasar of Khalil in Arabic. So he got the Suqi, Dardir, and he's going through <laughs> Is Khalil. Arabic part of the curriculum too, or is that like an optional? Yeah, well... Um, we're 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 reincorporating it as part of our curriculum. We had it, then we took it out just because we didn't have the support yeah. needed. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then teaching Arabic by distance, by correspondence. It's not even distance, mm-hmm. right? So we're correspondence courses. It's all paper-based material. Yeah. Um, so they have to sit there and struggle with it because yeah. it's not like it's... I, I got a curriculum for it. I'll give it to you. Do you? Okay. I, I do, actually. I'll give it to you for okay. free. Okay. Oh, uh, right, whole thing. Sure. Oh, yeah. Your own curriculum? Uh, through IOK. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, through IOK, through another. That's why it's IOK, like IOK is A-OK, right? But Sheikh Farhan as well has these series that he's developing, the usul, the and we're, we're those are on we're, Amazon. People can yeah. yeah. So we we've ordered. He sent us some of those books, and um, we might be using that with some of our students. It's wonderful material. Link here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Please support. And I'm I'm being honest. This is an amazing institution, Sheikh Noam, and uh, all of that he's Michelle, yeah. built. They they run one of the tightest ships around here. I would say. I will say that confidently. Uh, mashallah. And and they're all beautiful people that work yeah. here. And they they're they're. Um, no nonsense people yeah. when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, so. I have one of my students who wanted to go do full-time hifil, um, he, he, he used to um, say he wants to go overseas. Yeah. And he would ask different people and, and they said, well, you know, you could study in, US, in the U.S. And I remember him sitting, he was like a sixth grader at that time. He's like, I don't want to study Islam in the U.S. I want to go overseas like the real thought. Yeah. <laughs> well, he ended up coming down here from the Bay Area to IOK. There we go. Because the only like like they have a full full program, which it makes me jealous in the Bay Area. Like we got all those venture capital money and Silicon Valley and oh look Google and Tesla and eBay and Yahoo and all of, you know all of this stuff and like we don't have a we don't have our version of an IOK. So you guys say tuna. That's like well, a full it's not, university. It's full university. Yeah. It's a yeah. large college. Ninety percent of their courses are not Islamic. You know, seminary courses. Yeah. it's not a seminary. Yeah. It's not a seminary. It's not you're, a seminary. you're right. Yeah. You're right. Um, so, although I seem to be wearing their colors, burgundy. <laughs> Sponsored by. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so they go through all of, we have the, the, the curriculum. In addition to that, we have life skills courses where we're training peer mentors with um, enhancing their ability to, to facilitate self-help groups within the prison. Um, we also have the reentry program. So it's, it's branched out from. It's good, Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's why it works because you're taking the person from how they are and then you watch that transition and then everything is tailored to them as they're about yeah. to exit it's not just here's a boilerplate template just go with it yeah. and we'll see you know we'll see where it, where, where it ends up and that's that takes um an extreme amount of manpower extreme amount of um you know imagination creativity and just just pure grit on your guys's end yeah. to be dealing with um, yeah alhamdulillah we have a wonderful team we have over 15, 15 people staff members you guys send a lot of mail mashallah what's that you guys send a lot of mail oh that. yeah alhamdulillah yeah the marketing <laughs> and team the international you guys are all over the place yeah too. we have people in canada and australia uh, australia really? southern california georgia i mean yeah. alhamdulillah we were we were a remote organization remote workers very efficient like we're using like base camp slack you know sales force yeah. you know alhamdulillah all these tools that really make remote work uh an efficient organization but even before covid so when everybody had to go remote we're like yeah well, let's do it, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, one of the things too and this this goes back to a reflection that i've had over the years you know when i when i was in full talib al-ilm mode in, I, in the early 2000s in the, yeah late 90s early 2000s <clears throat> full-time student full-time student and i thought and i'm going to say naively but mm. I think that in those years, like late teen, early college, there has to be a certain level of naivety in a person to be able to go out and do do things. 
Like how do people just go out and say, oh, I'm going to study, you know, in um, I'm going to study uh, Mandarin in China. And well, what about this or what about, you know, no, I'm just going to go for it. If or, you really know what it takes, you're probably not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And if you know the repercussions and yeah, some yeah. of the lost opportunities. Right. So there's a certain or if people said, how did you go to Mauritania at 18? Now I look at 18 year olds and I'm like, yeah, how did I get on Mauritania at 18? <laughs> no phones, no electricity. Like we were out there. One of your uh, old pockets. No link right here. <laughs> <laughs> you said the only one of like the greatest possessions you had when you were over there was like a cotton shirt, and you were willing oh, to walk. Oh, I love that. Co- and it was yeah. Egyptian cotton. That's the best. <laughs> yeah, that. Well, I love that shirt so oh, much. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 wipe, I, um, I would wipe the sweat like with my shoulder to the to where it got worn out, and when I had to give up the shirt, I was like, oh man, this, I have to get up my Egyptian cotton shirt. <laughs> um, but. At that time, you know, there, there's, you know, you need a lot of fervor and like, and just um, uh, uh, the, the Afghans say joshed, like, mm. like this, um, uh, it's, it's kind of like a combination of like ishq and juhud, nefsi, and just like you're really uh, passionate. Yes. That's the word, passionate about it. And it creates a certain level of, of naivety in the person. You know, when, when naysayers, the, the uncles in the community say, yeah. well, haven't you? What about this or what about that? You're like, oh no, no, I'm just going. Like I told, I, I bought a one-way ticket to Mauritania. Somebody's like, well, don't you need a round-trip ticket? <laughs> yeah, Rami and Sewer, circa 1998. You do need a round-trip ticket if this could be somehow, you know, teleported back in time. But Rami and Sewer, circa 1998. I was like, well, you know what Tariq ibn Ziyad did when he got to Gibraltar? He just burned the ships, and he's like, there's only one way to go. That's literally, that was my thought process with buying a one-way ticket. And your parents were cool with this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, them a lot of I'm sure they're like, you know, what's going on with that? But, but when, when you see that, you know, you gotta, and then you go out and you do things like now, now I'm like, now it makes me cringe, right? But yeah. I'm not going to, um, uh, you know, to use a, a term I learned from Dr. Jordan Peterson. Oh. to a lot of his lectures and we're canceled but and, uh, thank may you. Allah give him hidayah <laughs> the prophet to become Muslim right something you mentioned I make, before I make before. dua for that man to become Muslim because mm. I think he's looking he's looking he's seeking right he's he's definitely on Islam he doesn't know a lot and I would love to see him actually have a conversation which this is now August yeah. 21st and August 5th was two weeks ago JP Anyway, the, the legit uh, podcast with Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. Yeah. yeah, or like Abdul Hakim Murad, or like somebody, like somebody of substance that can actually have a conversation. Oh, yeah. You know, someone uh, who can and, meet him on that intellectual yeah. level because and, he needs. That's how he needs and to be at least engaged. He admits when it comes to Islam, he's, he do, he's ignorant, right? Not these other guys like you know Ben Shapiro or the other guy. What's the the, the Sasquatch guy? What's his name? Bill Maher, uh, Sam, Sam oh, Harris. No, the. Um, Louder with Crowder. Uh, all these. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, yeah. he's a clown. He's a clown. He's a clown. Yeah, he's like for sure. He's, anyway, I won't uh, ridicule him. Um, but uh, JP said, Jordan Peterson said, I will. In one time, he was asked about something, and I'm just listeners can take this with a grain of salt. He said, I'm not going to betray my former self. Mm. Now. It doesn't mean that we're not regretful of actions because we have the whole tradition of toba and having the dhamma and, you know, like being remorseful of our past actions on the one hand. On the other hand, at that time or at any time when we're making a decision, if we're sincere and we're putting our best foot forward and making an informed decision like an had at that moment, mm-hmm. it's like you're, you're making your best decision with what you got available. Yeah. And you have to recognize that. 
at that time. So that your intention was pure. At was the time. pure, yeah, or at yeah. least yeah. as pure as I thought. Yeah, as pure as you could be. Things for like yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you seek out exactly. the good. Yeah, exactly. The process said, said, "Don't say no, no, no. If only, if only, and yeah. if only. You don't yeah. open up these doors of regret or whatever else." Exactly. Yeah, that's actually a good. Uh, thank you for mentioning that. That's a good way of putting. You're not going to betray your former istikhara. Like, yeah. Just go to wakil ala Allah. So I had that naivety, and um, part of what came with it because I saw such a. Uh, a change in my life when I was studying the, the dean and I was like everything and I was like these gyms and these that I'm learning in the books and these people that I'm mm-hmm. meeting and these shiuch and so forth it was having such a profound effect on me I thought to myself okay now I'm going to take these books and go back to America and teach people mm-hmm. and if they just teach if they just study those books you know I naively thought that the the, the change that I was experiencing could yeah. be replicated Mm-hmm. And so that's what because it was in the books because it was all in the books. Right? I was experiencing uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. So if I experience it, you should. Yeah. And one thing I came to the realization: this was through I did a master's in educational psychology. It's not a clinical program, but it's just mm. like how people learn. Mm. And one thing that I came out of there was that I realized it's not just the books. Of course, it's the book, it's the teacher, it's the environment, it's the physical environment, it's the state of mind, it's your age, like all of these other factors. And so for me, whatever experience I was having with those books with those shoes at that time in my life at that time in their life it's like you can't replicate that yeah and so what we did in playba is you know we took a lot of the west african mahdara tradition and we put it into books and we put it into the prisons because at one level i w- i had that profound effect in my life yeah and then those first initial students too i saw a lot of profound effect on their life and i was like oh okay we can now let's just you know uh um operationalize it and scale up well, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, and so you have people like that brother who were telling his story like he was a great student. Like he memorized Al-Akhdari in prison. Wow. Intro to, in Arabic. And he he was teaching, he was leading khutbas, but he goes out, he has unresolved issues in dealing with his addiction. And that's what he fell on. So then he helped us develop. We have now a book. It's also on Amazon. <laughs> right here. Uh, Overcoming Addiction, an Islamic Approach to Recovery. And Ahmed Adisa, the brother with the life without parole, he did a 12 step and he did a, a commentary of the 12 steps of recovery. Like the 12 step, like, like, AA. The 12 step, like AA. Okay. But with a commentary from Tasawwuf and Tezkiyah. Wow. From his deep knowledge and his studies of, uh, and his name is Ahmed. I call him our Ahmed Zarruq. And he really is our Ahmed Zarruq. So wow. he has the 12 steps and then Abdul Salam has his book. Um, and what we hope to see with that book is that as these brothers, they're going to, they're using it in prisons now. Uh, but even in free society, like, like chaplains that you give them out to chaplains to to, to the prisoners themselves. Oh, okay. Yeah, that they're they're living. The, we could give we make all of our material available to any chaplain for free. We can send it to them for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, the, the 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 people who are leading self help groups, even the Islamic chaplaincy work in prison, they're prisoners themselves. And so we're trying to enhance their ability. The to chaplains them. are prisoners themselves. Well, there's staff chaplains. Yeah. But the staff chaplains think if he has a um, if he has six yards to to visit and each yard has two hundred prisoners and he can only go to one yard one day a week, how much how how much of an imam is he being? He is he's doing he's definitely doing a lot of but work. He's just constrained time he's constrained, and resources. Time yeah. and resources. So who's leading the prayers? Who's leading the five daily prayers? It's prisoners. Who's giving the khutbas and a lot of it's the prisoners. Who's giving nasiha when people need advice? It's the prisoners. Who's giving consolation when somebody has a a death in the family? It's the prisoners themselves. So they're doing the work. And um, and we're just trying to enhance or the self-help groups, same thing. They're leading a lot of the Muslims. They're they're at the forefront of the prisoner developed and facilitated self-help groups. Um, and so we're supporting that work that they're doing. Are you guys getting any sort of like 
any light bulbs? Do you see any light bulbs going off? Because you, you're, you're not only dealing with prisoners, but you're also dealing with the, the prison administration, yeah. administration. Yeah. Are you seeing any light bulbs go off with these guys? Like, yeah, alhamdulillah. Okay. Yeah, it's taken a while, but yeah, they're noticing. They're they're like, oh, maybe like, these Muslim guys, they're coming out. They're not going to have problems in here kind of thing. Yeah. Or, or, Less fights, yeah. probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in the... In the in the um, in the wings where they have uh, people who know their Islam properly, yeah, it's it's a different, uh, and they'll go to those people when they have issues that need resolving. They'll go to them. The guards will go. The to guards, them. yeah, and the captains. Subhanallah. And so forth, yeah, they recognize them. Sometimes they'll go out and they'll say, and this is not just the table work. This is, uh, I mean, a lot of our students are those go-to people in their prisons. This is um, the transformative power of Islam. Yeah, of Islam. That's before yeah. table. Like they come yeah. to us and they're like, "I'm the Imam of my yard. <laughs> Can I study with you?" Like, yeah. It's like, I'm the emir of my yard. Can I study with you? These are the people that the wardens and the CEOs and the captains and so forth, they go, they're like, okay, who's the emir of the yard? Because they need to talk to who's in charge of the Muslim community here. Um, wow. And and um, and so, yeah, we, we alhamdulillah, it's, uh, it's slow, but yeah, the light bulbs are going off. Okay, alhamdulillah, that's good. Does anyone here need a quick five-minute break? I could... I need to. Do you need it? Yeah, I need. I need a quick <laughs> five minute it. break. Yeah, I'll be right back. That's the thing about uh, podcasts; you can just go for hours and hours, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Let's go. Oh, now it's gonna get saucy. Yeah. All right, Transition. ladies, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from a Part quick, two. Uh, just a quick little intermission. Needed to get some water and take a quick break, but yeah. So we're wrapping up our conversation uh, with David. Was there any last? Uh, points you wanted to make? Um, I'll just uh, encourage people to check out our website and um, uh, you know uh, as as American citizens as Muslims there's a lot of reasons why we should know about this system and mm-hmm. as, as, as people living in this country we're paying into the system so uh, we also have people who are coming back. This is in, in addition to just <coughs> our Islamic um, du- duty to mm-hmm. take care of the prisoners you know to do something to help them from oppressing themselves to accept them back into our society once they've truly rehabilitated, once they made Toba. Um, also to recognize that there's a lot of people even in our Muslim communities who have done something either haram and or illegal, but never went to prison. So we can't just completely brush off somebody just because they've been, you know, we tick off the box that you've been to prison. Well, somebody in free society who's never been to prison might have done something even worse, just never went there. So we remove all those things um, and we recognize we need to have this as part of our life. I would say um, watch the movie The 13th. Mm-hmm. I know for a lot of people when they when they said when they think about prison they're like, okay somebody did did the crime pay the time simple simple equation we'll watch the movie The 13th and see what's going on in this country. Alhamdulillah yeah. So we're going to link all of Table's information in our in the description and all the videos that are going to be recorded over the weekend with Taiba inshallah will be available as well so you guys can hear those first-hand accounts because we can sit here and talk about it all day but when you hear it from the source you know, you, you yeah. will be you will be a believer. So um, we never ask for money on this podcast, but you have to donate to Taiba anything that. And I didn't ask you to say that. Yeah, but he didn't, and he didn't ask. That. So this is for me. Uh, you guys can do a one time donation, become a monthly member. Even something beautiful said that Ustaz Tabari's mother said yesterday, even if you just were inspired by something we said about Taiba, share it with somebody yeah. because it may be small, but this was beautiful. But I heard what I heard yesterday. Even small hinges can move big doors. So, um, yeah, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah.